for you. Well, hi, everyone. It's been a while. You're probably thinking, does creating space for Dr. Bell still exist? It does. Dr. Bell has just been a little wild and crazy and busy. And so I'm so grateful to get back with you. Uh, I have a dear friend of mine uh, who's joining me. Uh, with, I, I call her Allie, but it's, uh, you know, that's just because we're best friends. Um, but it's Allie Byroad, and, and she's a therapist, a lot of great things about her. But uh, we're going to have a great conversation on trauma and executive function and sort of the intersection between all of them. And so, um, Allie, Allie, what would you prefer our listeners know you about, Allie or Aline? Which bet, which is better for you? You know, I'm fine with either. Yeah. Okay. Yo, Allie, you know, when you meet, when you meet her, you're going to be like, okay, yeah, she's a <laughs> So, um, Allie Byroad, and she is with Bridges Counseling in North Texas. She's been in, um, the field of mental health for decades. Like, I don't want to date you. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to date you because you, you know, you look like you're 22. So I don't want to let the, the, the group know, but I, I'll tell you all this. I won't tell you, but when I found out how old she was, I was like, what? Like, you know how we, we're aging better, aren't we, Allie? We're, we're, we aging, yeah, we're aging differently. And so when <laughs> I hear, you know, that someone is some age, I'm like, there's no way you look so good. So anyway, but yeah. nonetheless, what you need to know audience is that she knows what she's talking about. She's been doing it for a, a, a long, long time. Um, and she works across, you know, with children and adults and all sorts of people helping them in this, the area of mental health and all that that has to do. But we were having lunch one day. And so this is kind of how most of my uh, podcasts come about, just, just a conversation, right? This is what this is. And so we were talking about trauma and I was expressing to Allie how fascinated I have become with this topic and the intersection of trauma and executive function and how a lot of times we think kids have, uh, people have different uh, diagnoses, but it's actually trauma is the beginning and there's an, the effect of trauma that we see in different ways. And sure enough, because she's an expert, she's like, yes, have you heard about this? And have you heard about that? I was like, no, I haven't, but I want to talk about that. So we're jumping in today. For those of you who don't remember, uh, you remember Grace Space. I am the owner and the founder of Grace Space, and we help um, uh, children and adults and all the things with executive function uh, opportunities, not deficits, but their opportunities to strengthen in all the areas of their life. And so um, that's why I thought this was a great conversation for us to have. So Allie, say hello to the audience. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, when you're, whenever you're listening. It's great to be here. And wow, Joy, we should talk more often. You make me feel young and smart. <laughs> you know, I don't, do you are all those things. And, and now I've, I've known you for a couple of years and I'm just, um, just blown away in so many different areas. So I'm so grateful oh, that you. we had an opportunity and, and have this opportunity and we'll have other opportunities to talk with each other about this. So trauma uh, and so those of you, I'm going to redefine executive functions so we can kind of re reacquaint ourselves. So executive functions are these cognitive processes that we all have in our brain. There's no one that's that's exempt from it. Um, and it's sort of the processes are happening and growing and strengthening over time. It takes us until about we're 26 generally to really strengthen that and that prefrontal cortex. And those involve planning and prioritizing, organization, emotional regulation. You know, if you know someone that can go from zero to 10 with no warning. Uh, they have some challenges with emotional regulation. And so there's some dysregulation there. Um, all the different, there are about eight areas that are working in that, that brain of ours. We see them, you know, in terms of the, we see behavioral aspects of them, but they're happening in the brain and in the neural pathways. And so some of us have interruptions in those pathways. And trauma is one of the things that sort of short circuit, like a wire, um, those executive functions. And so that's what we're talking about today. So all of those executive functions, how they work, and also how trauma really kind of, it sort of gets in between the development of normal, uh, typical development of the executive functioning skills. So we're going to just jump right in. Are you ready, Allie? I'm ready. All right. I think the, the audience now remembers who I am again. It's been, I think, since the summer. So we had to just do a little bit of re reintroduction. <laughs> so we have, um, you know, trauma can have a profound impact on a person's executive function. We know that. The research tells us that. We have evidence of that. I'm sure you see that with your clients. I see that with mine as well. But could you walk us through the ways in which trauma can absolutely disrupt, short circuit these cognitive processes? Absolutely. I think first we need to 
redefine and make sure we have a really good working understanding of what trauma is. You know, we used to think it was just happened to people who were at war and, and witnessed or experienced, saw things that were horrendous. And that certainly is true, the whole PTSD. But we've learned so much about the brain that we have such a better working understanding of what trauma is and how it affects all, can affect all people, even children. So this is a definition by Peter, Dr. Peter Levine, and I, he's kind of a leading authority on trauma work with children. And he says, trauma happens when any experience stuns us like a bolt out of the blue. It overwhelms us, leaving us altered and disconnected from our bodies. We feel utterly helpless and hopeless. And we'll talk a little bit more about what some of those trauma examples might be. But um, we usually think of the five Bs when we think about how trauma can affect us. And number one is the brain. So trauma affects the brain. Um, just, it's just incredible. We often think about the brain, we call it either the, the, low, the lower brain, or sometimes people will call it the survival brain, or even the downstairs brain. I kind of like that one versus the upper brain which sometimes we call the thinking brain or the upstairs brain. So I'm going to say downstairs brain and upstairs brain. Well, because the brain is always working to keep us safe, trauma then contributes to this increased survival mode response in the brain. And that's in the lower or the downstairs part of the brain. You've heard of the flight or the fight, or we even call it the freeze response now. That all comes from the downstairs brain. But over time with trauma, and it could be a one-time event or it could be an entire childhood experience, this can lead to an overdeveloped downstairs brain that's always trying to keep the child safe. Verse, and then an underdeveloped thinking brain. The thinking brain is where the executive functioning takes place. That's where we get to do some of our higher order thinking, our ability to problem solve, our ideas of if I do this, this could happen. All of that is in the upstairs brain. Trauma can cut that so that they don't ever get to the upstairs brain because they're living in this downstairs area of life is all about just trying to stay out of the way or, or, or be safe or try to figure out a way who can I trust. So like I said, this is where trauma really affects the executive functioning ability, that ability to learn efficiently and effectively. Trauma can affect one's ability to remember things. Like I said, to problem solve, how to respond appropriately, how to focus, even how to remember. But I think another important part about the, the B part in the brain is that it, trauma can also affect the right hemisphere. And this is where many of our emotions and the ability to see the big picture, that's where those are housed. So it's not only their executive functioning, but it also affects their ability to cope and to see the, the picture, the big picture. Another B in the five Bs we look at is the biology, um, how trauma can affect our ability to it can affect how our behaviors and our environment, how they can affect even our very DNA. So it's a very physiological response to trauma. The third B is of course, behavior. Um, trauma lowers one's ability to handle stress because we really haven't worked on how to cope because life is always about just trying to stay safe. Um, We'll see behaviors like fighting, defiance, sometimes even the opposite, just zoning out. You'll hear teachers sometimes say, he just seems like he's not even there. And it looks like he's not thinking or in his own world, but really that's his mechanism just to shut the world out because the world is not safe. The fourth one is the body. We see things like an increased heart rate. We can see blood pressure being affected. Breathing, of course, can become shallower. Muscles are more tense, kind of always ready to fight or defend. Um, and even this hyper arousal, it's like the brain is constantly looking for, could this be potential 
danger. Is this teacher safe? Does this teacher like me? Um, what's it going to be like when I go home today? Those kinds of things. And the fifth one, the five, the five B's is their beliefs about themselves. Um, trauma can affect one's self-worth, sense of self-worth. It can lower their sense of this belief that I can make changes. I have the power to kind of make things happen. We call it efficacy. It's like, I have the ability to manage some things, make a plan and, and, and make it happen. And trauma can really interfere with that because they feel like they've been a victim and they couldn't control their environment anyway. They can never get out of it or make it better. And a big one is it lowers their ability to trust because I've learned that the world is not a safe place. And the people that I'm supposed to love may or may not be predictable for me either. So um, those, I like to think of the five Bs. And I, I love this quote, a child who might be experiencing trauma would say, basically is what they're saying is, I can't hear you. I can't learn from you. I'm not sure I can learn from anyone. I'm just trying to be safe. Ooh, y'all, I told you, I told you. I told you that I wrote. It's so interesting. I thank you so much for those. And even the the, the bees sort of give us an anchor, a foundation uh -huh. of how to better understand trauma and really the definition of it. Because what I've learned personally and professionally is that what may an event, we can, we can have two people, you and I can have the same event happen to us. You, it may impact, you know, affect you, but you move on. It's like not a big deal. It may stunt everything about what I, what I do. So we think, well, that we sometimes don't have empathy for people because we say, well, I didn't have this and I was fine. Or I had this happen and I was good. So I got over it. I got over it. So why, why don't you, or why can't you? And so I think that, is that something that, that you see or that you hear in terms of like, move on, you, but this is, this happens to everyone. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. 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 Just suck it up. Just suck it up. Mm -hmm. And I, it was, I was. Life is hard. Just do it. Hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We, we all have our things, you know, all the things and, and all of those things are, I mean, everyone has their stuff. Like that's just the nature I think of being human, but I think there's a lack of empathy sometimes when for ourselves. And the mm -hmm. stuff that we've gone through also for our children and for individuals that we encounter. So I think that lack of empathy of just suck it up, just move on. We all have something uh, is, is, is harmful. Um, again, I think it first starts with ourselves, and I, and I've been, I have definitely been um, guilty of this. You know, there are some things that have happened. I'll think about them now and, and, and have my own therapist about them now, but i never thought they were traumatic things. I just thought, Oh, what a, what a shame. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that was unfortunate. Um, but I was able to just keep moving in those things. And so I didn't recognize the impact of the event. I could see evidence of it in my life in different areas, but I was sort of in that, I grew up in that time frame of it's like, keep, keep going. Um, and because it looks like most of us keep going, we don't, it's almost like we're, we're going, we're walking wounded uh, in some way. Yeah. We talk about how trauma is stored in our very cells. Yeah. And sometimes we push it down, sometimes we're not aware of it, but then sometime later in life, something can happen. Mm -hmm. For example, maybe a death of a loved one. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden that grief kind of like opens the door. Mm -hmm. And then all of this stuff begins to start showing up. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's, we can, we can walk wounded only for so long, Yes, but it will kind of have its way, you know, it's it, almost like grace. It's grace in a way it's because yeah. you, it's almost yes. like if you meet, sometimes you might meet an individual, I might meet them and it's like, I can't quite figure it out, but I don't feel something. I don't feel well with them or I, something doesn't feel easy with me about them. I don't know what it is. And I think yeah. sometimes in your own life or in the lives of our children or in the lives of people, it's like, there's something that we can't quite put our hands on. And then, as you said, some, something may trigger, there may be a trigger. And then it's like the dam is broken and it's like, oh, okay, that triggered all of this. Cause it was just, it needed a way to come out. There's like the grace of an event that provides us opportunities for our traumas to, to come out. 
because mm -hmm. it is stored in the body. It is stored in that flight, uh, flight or freeze response. It is it's stored in how we respond in environments. And we don't know why things make us feel a certain way. But because uh, there's a book called, um, I think it's Oprah. Um, no, there was a book that she wrote with someone, but there was someone else who said the body uh, has a memory or the body remembers or something like it. But it's the same thing that you're saying that your body, like it stores it in, in everything in you until it's, it's ready and maybe it's safe for those, those experiences to come out. You might be thinking of the book by Dr. Bessel van der, van der Kolk called The Body Keeps the Score. Yes. That's, that's almost cool. kind of like uh, the Bible for those of us who are studying trauma. Yes. Um, that how we store it in our very cells. Yeah. Yeah. And so there, it, there's, I don't know, you know, I don't know everyone in the world, I, you know, so I don't know if people can, can live and then go all the way to the end of their life and never have an opportunity for that to come out in some way, whether it's in their behavior or it's in uh, an event that brings it up. But it, then it's sort of the point of then how do I deal with, you know, once it comes up, where do I go? And, and I'm sure we'll talk about that in a little bit. But yeah, trauma, it's a lot, Allie. It's not, I mean, this is not a just suck it up kind of thing. Um, it's a lot happening when we talk about trauma and, and how to deal with it and how it shows up in our lives as humans. I think a lot of times for those who um, kind of suffer in silence or maybe are unaware of something that happened, when you get older and then you we, we ask a lot, am I suffering? Mm. When you're suffering, even though you may not be able to put your finger on it, mm -hmm. something's robbing you of joy. Mm -hmm. That's an indication that there's probably something calling your attention mm. and maybe your body is saying, Hey, hello. Mm. Um, you know, I've been storing this for a very long time, or maybe it's a thought or a memory, mm. but when we feel we're suffering, that's usually indication that something is calling for our attention, Ooh. which like you said, is grace. Yeah. So, when, yeah. If, I mean, I love that you, I mean, you, this is your area, right? But you simplified it so much for everyone. If you are you suffering, like mm -hmm. are you like is there something that's robbing your joy? Then the the courage, because I think it is courageous to say, you know, I, I am suffering now. I recognize that, or I I don't feel joy where I should. Let me explore that a little bit. There's a a, a, a amount of courage that happens when you're willing not only to to acknowledge but then to seek out, okay, what is this? And, and then once I find it, um, you know, seek support, seek help, seek guidance on how to, to work through it um, and not just yeah. decide, I'm just going to sit in this space. Um, yeah. Good, good, good stuff. Good stuff. Um, so I wanted to speak a little bit to um, the ACES instrument, which is, I think um, that's one of those instruments that, that we use to sort of decide. And it, again, it's so interesting because I mm -hmm. actually came upon this instrument, I don't know, some years ago. And in my own mind, personally, I thought I've never, I'm not, I've been traumatized by anything. Like I'm good. Like I was just so, I literally, I was just so like in like La La Lane Alley with this, just like, I'm fine. You know, I have this and I have a good home or I have, I've, I have great education. I've raised pretty great kids and have a good marriage. Um, I have a good relationship with everyone. People kind of like me, you know, <laughs> I think I'm fine. And then when I took Allie, when I took this test, I was just like, okay, I'm going to call therapist. <laughs> I was so surprised at all the different areas that trauma covers. And some of those areas where um, I grew up in very, many of my friends, it's like, these, this is just what happens, or this is just normal in this culture, in this life, or in this whatever, that, okay, this is trauma. This is, th these are traumatic events that can impact. So I want to talk a little bit about that instrument, the ACEs instrument, and sort of helping people to wrap their brains around what those element, those indicators are. And it's a really simple, easy assessment, you know, that you can take. So can you talk a little bit about that, Allie? Yeah. The ACEs, A-C-E-S, stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences Study. And it was a game changer for helping people who had experienced trauma. It was a comprehensive study that was conducted by Kaiser Permanente mm. from 95, 1995 to 1997. And they interviewed over 17,000 of their members from Southern California. They completed these confidential surveys regarding their childhood experiences. 
as well as any current health um, behaviors or issues. So it was a series of questions and there was a pattern of experiences that began to emerge from this study. And they were either personal childhood experiences or maybe something that they had witnessed growing up. Participants simply would mark yes or no to each of these 10 questions. And you can do the ACES study online. All you have to Google is ACES, ACES survey or ACES test or whatever. And what they noticed were that these patterns emerged. Um, any kind of abuse. It could have been, did the child or when the person was young, did they experience physical abuse, emotional, sexual, verbal? And it could be a direct abuse to them or even if they witnessed it in their home, like to a sibling or to a parent mm -hmm. kind of thing. Of course, neglect was another one. Did they have times in their life where nobody was there or they were left alone for long periods of time or there wasn't enough food, or those kinds of things. If there was substance abuse in the home, mm -hmm. that was an indication. Was there mental illness in the home that the child witnessed? Was there a separation or a divorce? Was there an incarcerated family member? Mm -hmm. Was there bullying that took place even in the home or outside of the home? Did the child experience or the adult as a child experience witnessing violence in or outside of the home? Was there ever a situation of homelessness? Were they ever experienced to war or natural disasters? A flood. Think about what happened, you know, with Hurricane Harvey. And um, intense forms of discrimination. So those were the things that seemed to emerge. What they've learned is that only about one third of adults, and this is still true today, can score a zero. That two thirds of us have witnessed or been exposed to at least one of those things. So it's very common to score at least a one. I witnessed this, you know, in some form or another. But the researchers found that those who had an ACE score of four or more, so they had answered yes to at least four of those, were more likely to experience multiple risk factors for chronic diseases. And an ACE score of six or more showed a correlation with 20 years in a decrease of their life expectancy. Wow. So if that's not holding the trauma in our bodies, I mean, that's just, so this was a real game changer for learning more about trauma and its effects on all of those five Bs I talked about. Um, and just realizing that it is much more prevalent than what we think. And and kind of beginning to, to honor it, to say, you know what, I experienced this and it was really hard. Yeah, so. yeah I think, I, I think it's just, fascinating and I think again I feel like you work you do a lot of work with children I know you do and, and I work with children a great deal but I always there's a friend of mine has this uh this book and uh, sort of I guess her her brand is it's called what's on your soul uh mm. that's Mia Embro let me get what's on your souls s-o-l-e-s -E uh Mia Embro and she's a therapist as well phenomenal and so when we talk about where we're able to help others, like we have to think about what's on our own souls, S-O-L-E-S, what we're bringing into spaces. And so that's our own traumas that we're bringing into spaces. And then through that lens, whether we recognize it or not, that's how we interact with those individuals. That's how we see them. That's how we have empathy for them or not. Um, and so being able to recognize, and as you said before, be honest, if once you figure it out, you know, there was maybe some things on that list that uh, you know, I may need to deal with. Maybe I'm still a great person. Maybe my life looks really great. That, that's not, those are two separate, those are separate things, but acknowledging um, that, you know, some of those indicators and then finding support where you might need it. So what's on your souls is important as a parent. It's important as an educator. It's an important as a therapist. And if you have any interaction with other human beings, it's important to be able to, to know what you're bringing into that room, into that conversation, into, into that. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 
I love that. What's on your souls? On your souls. That's me, Amber. I'm going to have to give credit where credit is due. Um, So uh, everything, all of our, you know, conversations are about that. You know, who are you first? And then even, you know, I think like a Mother Teresa and I'm not her, Allie. (laughs) (laughs) But But I'd like to be like her when I grow up. I was going to say when I grow up, I do want to, you know, have a little, but who gives and gives and gives at Mm -hmm. some point as humans. We have to be willing to to go deeper for our own selves so that we have a cup that's full enough, um, really full enough to give out to others from an authentic place. And so I love this conversation that we're talking about ACEs and really having an instrument to use. Um, In what ways uh, can a therapist, you know, this is sort of what you do, um, assist someone who has experienced trauma um, that you see that is impacting other areas of your life. Um, what are some things that you do with your clients or some suggestions or strategies that you provide to them to sort of work through these areas, not hide them, not deny them, not stuff them, um, all those different things, but how do you help as a, in the, your role um, folks who are, have endured trauma to work through it? Yeah. Well, I think a good therapist has to be trauma informed. Mm-hmm. And so there needs to be a good, sound, working base and knowledge and set of skills. Mm -hmm. Because you're not always going to know when someone comes to see you what trauma this person has endured or if they have at all. Mm. Um, A lot of times they don't even know. Mm. But I know that the most important thing, and this is really true of any client, but particularly those who have struggled with trauma, is that they have to feel safe before they can feel anything at all. Um, I love this quote. You must first feel safe to even stay the same before you can feel safe enough to change. Oh, please say that again. Isn't that great? Yeah. You must first feel safe to even stay the same before you can feel safe enough to change. Mm-hmm. So helping create a place that's safe for a traumatic client or one who has experienced trauma is like the number one thing. Mm. Sometimes when you feel like I don't know how to help this person, creating safety is the greatest gift you can offer Mm. because they haven't had that. Mm. Um, And then of course you have to work to develop trust Mm -hmm. and that takes time. And it takes a lot of patience. I think it's Brene Brown who says trust is earned in a thousand small ways, Mm. but it can be lost in an instant. Mm. We just know that one healthy relationship can be transforming. So I think a good therapist works to perhaps be one of those people for the client. Mm. I think another one that's really important is this essence or the sense of time. This is going to take time. Um, you have to proceed slowly. Mm. Those beliefs about themselves or those experiences are deeply, deeply ingrained, deeply embedded. Um, those connections in the, in the brain are, I think, um, almost hardwired. Dr. Rick Hansen talks about they're almost like a super highway. The brain just has gone to those connections for so many years because that's what they've experienced. And so they're deeply embedded and they are very strong. Mm. Um, You know, I have a a mentor I study with with grief and loss, Dr. Alan Wolfelt. And he says that um, there's no reward for speed. So there's no reward for speed with grief and there's no reward for speed with trauma. It's going to take time, you know? I think another thing that's really important is when you're working with a child who's experienced trauma, this child is going to need physical activities. Um, This child is probably not going to be able to sit and just have this meaningful conversation. If we believe that the trauma is stored in the cells in our very body, then one of the ways we help with that is to move the trauma by doing something active. So for a child, this might be something like going for a walk Hmm. or shooting baskets or finding a track where you can walk around the track where the child can run. Some therapists have like a punching bag, but there's going to need to be physical activity to help move that trauma. 
um, I couldn't do anything about it then, but I can do this now. Punch, punch, you know, in safe, appropriate ways. So almost always that kind of child needs some kind of physical, physical activity to help them kind of move that trauma. Um, and then there needs to be a lot of engaging activities. Like I'm not going to just be able to sit and talk. Um, a big one is it's really important for people who have experienced trauma to feel like they have some control because they didn't. So that means giving them choices. Would you rather do this or would you rather do that? It means allowing for what we call collaboration. When the child has an idea and would like, I want to do this, you have to be open to collaborating with them. It's not about I'm in charge. It's about I'm building a relationship of trust with this person. So um, I have a friend who works with um, um, some severe behavior in, in a school. And she said she was observing one day a child having a meltdown. And she just brilliant, brilliantly said, I can see this isn't working for you today. You know what? Let's just put this aside and do this tomorrow. Tell me what you need right now. Well, what a beautiful way to handle what the child couldn't describe that he needed, but that was an example of great collaboration. You know, I don't need to make my the student do this. I tell me what you need today. It's not about winning. It's about how can I help you feel safe? How can I help you feel heard? Allie, do you think that that's hard for parents to do? Because yes, you think about parents is sort of like there's this power thing that you're always you did it because you do it because I told you because I'm the boss because I'm the older one because I pay your tax, you know that kind of thing. And so, how would you advise parents in this collaboration of and that they don't like Allie, You don't know I'm the parent here. They they need to do it just because you know because I am. How would you advise parents to? to walk this line of collaboration with their child if they see areas where it would it would be beneficial for them in their exchange. I'm gonna take off my counselor hat and I'll put on my parent hat. <laughs> um, I have two daughters who are grown now and um, somewhere in the teenage years, when you know things get a little more challenging, <laughs> I learned that if I let them talk first, mm. they are more likely to listen when it's my turn. Oh. And somewhere along the line, I learned that it wasn't about winning. It wasn't about, I take it's my way or the highway. Mm. It was about maintaining a relationship with my daughters. Mm. And that I wasn't really losing if I let them talk first. Mm. And I was modeling listening. The other thing I learned when I let them talk first was... Um, like I said, they were more apt to listen to me when it was my turn. And it didn't mean I was going to change the consequence or whatever. They were still going to be in trouble. I learned, I almost always learned something when I listened first. There was missing information mm. that may not have changed the consequence, but it's like, oh, that explains why you came in 30 minutes late, you know? So I learned something when I listened first. Mm. And then I learned that next time when there was going to be a conflict, we were already going to start on a better, you know, better footing. Mm. So I think about the book, this, you know, what, what's, what are, what's in your souls. It's like, we were going to start from a better place mm. because we had started in better places before. Mm. So the conflicts were a little bit less likely to be so explosive. We were building a relationship hmm. that we could maintain. So I think that would be, I think listening to them first does not mean the kid is winning and you're losing. Hmm. It's you're, you're buying some, um, you're buying some grace, mm -hmm. you know? I, like, I love it. It's like you have, it's a deposit you're making Yes. Way. Almost like a bank deposit. And, and if you if you've not deposited it in different and the listening is a deposit. It's sort of deposit. You may need to withdraw that at another point in time. It may be during that conversation. It may be during another conversation or another whatever life brings to us, but it's just making it the deposit. I love I love as well, like where you can withdraw if you need. 
Um, you know, I grew up in a, a family where, again, it's sort of like you did because I told you. And and there's a level of respect that we want to ha- our children to have for for us, but we also have to res- we also need to respect them as humans because I think it was I don't know where I heard this a long long time ago, but it's like you're raising their children now, but like your your daughters like they're grown grown women now, like you know. So that if you'd broken the relationship with them when they were ten or when they were fourteen or continued to do that, then you would not have this this great friendship with them now and relationship. So at the heart of everything that we're doing, whether we're working through trauma or we're working through issues with our children or whatever the case is, or we want them to be in another space. I think what you're saying, Allie, is the relationship is the most important factor. Yes. Yeah. And that's what we all want as parents, isn't it? Yes. We want to build, we want to build relationships with our kids that lasts forever, you know? Way beyond those teenage years. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry, Allie. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, that's um talked about choices. Things like um eye contact becomes very important when you're working with a child who has suffered from trauma. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes, and you have to kind of read the child, eye contact can be very meaningful. Mm-hmm. But sometimes for some kids, eye contact is very scary. Mm-hmm. So you have to be able to kind of read mm-hmm. what they feel uncomfortable doing. Also, like, you know, some kids love a, love to, love a hug, a good side hug. Some mm-hmm. kids don't want to be touched. You have to kind of read that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, things like my voice. Mm-hmm. When I'm working with someone in trauma, I automatically lower my voice. Mm-hmm. It gets a little softer mm-hmm. and I speak a little slower mm-hmm. because I don't want to come across threatening or accusing in any way. Allie, do you think that when an individual has suffered trauma, that the processing of external stimuli, whether it's in a voice or an environment or lots of lights or or lots of movement or a lot of talk, do you think that the processing of the external information becomes more difficult, which is why you do things like lower your voice in your in your office, it's really calm and really soothing in there. There's not a lot of external stimuli. It's almost like even in the environment calms the the systems down. Do you yes. Think, yeah. So do you feel like there's there's we need to take that into account, even though there's not a cookie cutter um, response to everyone that has trauma, but there's some key indicators or things that we want to do coming into the space with them, like you said, tone, um, how fast you're talking to them, because even with the, with their hearing and how quickly they're getting and able to process it may be impacted by the trauma as well. If you think about that downstairs brain versus the upstairs brain, and they, they've been in the downstairs brain a lot, trying to kind of just stay safe, then they may not have the skills or the development hmm. in the upstairs brain to be able to focus or to be able to receive information that's loud or, or a lot of noise and to be able to kind of cope with that yeah just shut down yeah so slower softer quieter yeah tends to help them regulate better when i had a i had a meeting recently with a school and we we're talking about you know how even educators have to be trauma informed they have to understand uh, and it's not a matter of and I, I just said this to i always say this when i have these sorts of conversations we're not making excuses for behavior that that you see that's difficult that's not what this is but is it's almost as if um, we are sometimes punishing. You, you see the behavior. Maybe it's you're loud with them, so they get loud with you because that's what happens in their home. Or um, you, you know, just different things may happen inside the classroom. So you see the behaviors of the trauma, but we're almost punishing them, like re-traumatizing them um, again because we there's some we know something's going on because we see the behavior, but we deal with just the behavior. But behind the behavior is some sort of event, whether it was their, something that they're living in currently or that they experienced or that they witnessed, but we're always dealing with the behavior, the external part. Um, and so I, I said to these educators, that's why it's important that now that you're making excuses, there are, there are going to be consequences for behaviors that are not okay. So we're not taking away consequences. We're not making excuses, but we have to acknowledge in these spaces mm-hmm. that there's something going on besides the fact that this child seems combative to me or doesn't want to listen or doesn't share with their friend um, or is always forgetting their homework. It's like, wait, well, I, we, every, the other kids can do that. Why can't you? Maybe there's something going on in that home on the way out the door in the morning that 
that this child is just not able to focus enough to grab their home. There's so many different factors. Um, and so I just think it's so important for us to, to keep in mind that sometimes we see the behavior, we see it in children, we see it in we, we, you know bad behavior in adults um, sometimes, and we deal with the behavior, but we have to be willing to go behind that um, so in a classroom, you were talking about, um, you know, we were talking about stimuli and loud noises and too much happening. So maybe for some children, you can have a lot of movement. It's time for recess and lunch and whatever. And another child's like, what'd you say? What do I, what do I do again? I, I didn't remember what you told me. And you're like, I told everyone else they remembered, but maybe they, maybe it's just too much happening around them that it looks like ADHD, but maybe it's just the, the focus element, maybe a trauma response or a, a you know symptom of trauma. So I think my point is being open to what you're seeing, that there mm -hmm. may be some things behind it and being willing to make the adjustment. Like Ali just said, just lowering, lowering your voice. That's a big deal for me. I mean, I pretty, pretty, most days I have a calm voice, but I'm a little hyperactive personality um, sometimes. And I've met kids where that was too much. Like maybe I'm working with them. And so for me, I felt like it was warming. It was nice. And blah, 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 blah. But for them, it was just like, and I'll say, is that, do you need Miss Joy to kind of, you know, bring it down a little bit? I'm like, yeah. Can you, <laughs> can you bring it down? It's like too much. <laughs> can, you, can you bring it just like too much? Yeah. So being willing and able to, to uh, another good friend of mine, which is probably something you say to being seen and heard. So when mm -hmm. you're with those children or when you're with your spouse or when you're with whomever, like being able to see them and hear them and respond yeah. accordingly. Yeah. Um, wouldn't and it be lovely? Yes. Wouldn't it be lovely if every child obeyed the first time? Oh. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could just tell our kids, do this, do this, do this, and they did it? Yeah. Wouldn't that be great? Great. And every teacher, wouldn't it be wonderful teaching with them? Oh my gosh, I just tell the kids to get busy and they do. But that's not reality. Yeah. 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 So head out. Yeah. Um, I think was it was there anything else I wanted to say about almost always, even with any client, but particularly with those who have experienced trauma, there's going to have to be some teaching about breath work Ooh. because breath work is the number one way that we begin to learn to, to teach our body that we have the ability to calm ourselves. Ooh. And, um, it's almost like the body has to teach the brain when it's starting to lose control and it's starting out, oh, I'm, are you safe? Are you safe? Are you in danger? The body has to be able to teach the brain. Yes, I'm safe. We're safe. We're okay. And the number one way is a, a deep breath, mm. but a certain kind of deep breath. It's where the exhale is longer and slower than the inhale. Mm. So I work with kids to do something I call the hand breath where you use your finger to trace, you know, the fingers of, of your hand. And when you go up the finger, you might breathe in for the count of four, mm -hmm. maybe hold it for one or two at the top of each finger. And then when you go down that finger, you're going to exhale to the count of five or six. Mm -hmm. That longer, slower exhale is what sends a message to the downstairs part in the brain. I'm safe. Mm -hmm. If I was in danger, I wouldn't be breathing like this. I'd be breathing, you know, that fast, like I'm running or whatever. So breath work is really important. Um, with little children, it might be, you know, blowing the bubble kind of thing, or pretend that you've got a little matchstick and can you blow out that birthday candle? Mm. Um, not matchstick, but a birthday candle. Can you blow out that birthday candle? Um, or you've got a bubble in your mouth, you know, can you blow the bubble? Mm. Um but it's almost always with breath work. Mm. So um, that's really important. I used to, I, as of late, I think in the last like maybe two years, I just think, oh, that's all for all those yoga people, like all that breathing and stuff. <laughs> like I, I didn't under, but I will, when I tell you I have the Calm app now and I, most of all of the, the, um, the conversations start with, okay, let's, I need you to get still. And, and they follow this sort of, and some of them have sound to the exhale, which I love. For some reason, I, res I respond well to that because it's almost like whatever's on you or bothering you or stressing you, it's like, it's like in that, whatever that is, it, I'm blowing it out of my body. And I love the the sound part, but it's the same where it go, you go in, you hold it, and then it's like, 
It's like forever. <laughs> I don't want to hold that, the exhale. But I, I'm a believer, Allie. I'm now a believer where- Absolutely. Maybe maybe it was the culturally, I don't, all those different things. It wasn't something that, you know, we weren't breathing in my house. If we were breathing, it was like, breathing on our way to like going out the door away we weren't breathing in in my home and it wasn't something that was that was um that I was accustomed to it was foreign to me so sort of like that's for those other you know people those those yoga people um those where they you sit on the floor and you like chant and stuff but it I now I realize that that is so that's so wrong because whether you hear yourself doing <laughs> your body is doing that and so to, to be able to give you put another rhythm to your breath and it's like, it, it's, you feel differently and you feel calmer. Um, I feel calmer. Um, and so it's something that I've, I've been using as well to help some of the kids that I work with. It's like, you're like, I'm breathing, Miss Joy. Like, yeah, you're breathing, but you don't realize how, even though you don't hear the sound of the, your heart, your body is like, it's in, it's in just this kind of, like your hands are all balled up together. And so that breath just brings all of it back into alignment. And it brings you back in the present. Exactly. I feel like, you know, it's like, it's just like this moment right now. And so when you're thinking about trauma, for, for some people, the trauma may have been in their childhood. For a child, it may have been, they may be a sixth grader and it was when they were a kindergartner, you know, or whatever the case is. <clears throat> but that breath work seems to just bring you right now to the to the present moment because in the both the past and the future are torture because you can't change the past and you don't know what's coming in the future. But in this present moment is where the power is and where the, if I don't know if control, we probably don't use that word, Allie, but I don't know if control is an illusion, I guess. But it would at least some sense of agency um, is there in the present moment uh, with that breath work. I also think with yoga, there's just been... Um so many people who have been helped with their trauma yes. through yoga yes. going back to what we said about how if the body holds the trauma like we believe and we know now yes then the movement of yoga the slow the stretching the holding that moves helps move the trauma mm -hmm. so um it can be very very powerful Oh, I'm, I'm a, I'm a believer now like I'm a yeah. believer in that and I advocate for it, it kind of you know, everything for me is I have to relate it in some way, but when I go to get a massage or something and I think, oh, I just need a little, you know, a little knot. And they're like, they can be like, oh, you, have you been sitting at your desk a long time? Because there's knots here. And have you been, and so that person who's trained and even the body can feel in your muscles and all the things. And when, think about if you, if you're listening right now, you ever get a massage, don't you fucking like just want, it's like, when you come up from the massage, it's like, man, like all that stuff is now, yeah. yes. And I think that that's what happens with, like, like you said, the yoga and the breath work. It, it's that's what's happening in your body. That you're given a chance for all of that that's in your your very DNA, as you said before, to get out in a sort of a safe, calm uh, environment, way soothing, and and mm -hmm. placing you in a space that maybe you haven't been in. Um, but I, I just make I just think about when I when I get a massage, and I'm like, oh, I didn't realize all that was in. You know, I was carrying all of that. And I think trauma is the same way. Sometimes we we are walking wounded through life and we don't realize how much we're actually carrying in, in all that we're doing, not just in our behavior, but in our body and breath work and those sorts of things give us opportunities to get it moving and get it out um, as well. Allie, do you, do you recommend like with you know, breath work and all those sorts of things, do you recommend that most people should or should consider, how about that? should consider a therapist or someone to talk with that is that is informed with trauma and how to support individuals through trauma? Or do you feel like well, we can work through trauma alone? Like most people can work through trauma. Oh, I don't, I think it's really not just a matter of if, it's a matter of when, because life is difficult. Mm. And we often need someone with a fresh lens or fresh eyes and the very act of talking is therapeutic in and of itself because that's another example of movement you know um and so to have a listening set of ears who listen with kindness and compassion and no judgment that in and of itself can be very healing 
and that person can create a safe place. Mm. You have to have safety. Mm. You can't move. You can't pro. You can't improve. You can't heal unless you feel safe. Mm. And it's difficult to feel safe alone. Mm. So. Is it, you know, you know, I told Allie it was going to be 30 minutes and I should have known that this is going to take longer with Allie because we're just, just those people. Mm-hmm. But um, when you have a child, Allie, that you're working with, do you ever recommend to the parent that they too may want to gain some support in terms of not necessarily their own trauma because you maybe may or may not know their history, but support in how to support their child? Like, do you ever make recommendations to parents that of the children that you work with? Well, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Because many times when you're working with a child who's experienced trauma or even behavior that is challenging mm-hmm. and trying to get to the bottom of it, what's behind this? As a parent, we need help. Like what I'm doing isn't working. I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to do this, but they won't, you know. So I think we need the support on how can I help my child, not only so that my child can do better, but but that I am not so frazzled, Hmm. you know. And sometimes it's just a little tweak. Hmm. Maybe the way something is said, or maybe it's as simple as, you know, giving your child choices. Would you rather do this or would you rather do that? Hmm. something little sometimes Hmm. can make all the difference, but I think it's difficult for us to see those things. We just know we're frustrated. Hmm. And there again, I come back to that question. Are you suffering? Hmm. Is your home suffering? Hmm. Is your family situation suffering? If someone or something is suffering, it's time to get help. Hmm. Yeah. Well, listen, everyone, I have kept Allie so long and I'm so grateful for her. We, uh, Allie and I are going to do some partnering uh, together. And so we'll, you'll definitely get a chance to hear Allie again and, and, and all the things, but she's just phenomenal. Uh, And, and as you can tell, well-versed in all that she does and and knows, and I'm, I'm, I'm just honored uh, that she, I am very much so honored that you have spent your, your day with me and an hour with me today. Um, if you, I'm going to, uh, the audience here, I'm going to have all of Allie's information. Um, but I'm telling you right now that she always has to save a spot for me. So you can't take all of her, her slots, but you can definitely reach out to her. Uh, as you can probably imagine, she is well sought after and, but she just a great, um, resource for parents um, and for humans and how to navigate through difficult spaces. And so I'm just so grateful for you, Allie. Thank you so much. For Thank you. Time. Yeah. Honor. All right, everybody. So take a look uh, later. We'll have it uh, later on uh, where you have all of the, the recording and all of Allie's information to reach out to her. Um, don't forget about us. We are gracespaceconsulting.com and with a lot of good stuff happening there. So visit our website. And if we can be of help to you, um, there's a place for you to, to sign up to, to meet with us. And we'd love to support your family or your organization in any way. Everyone take care.